Coming up in this episode. If we take 2001 as the starting point of the war on terror, well, we have more terror, so the war obviously has been a fiasco. A Russian scholar publicly excoriates the U.S.'s war on terror, claiming the U.S. military has overstepped its bounds. The attacks are done by Americans and without sometimes consulting with the local governments like it just happened in Yemen. But Americans also have something to say about it. I thought his remarks were so far over the top that uh, they really deserved a response. They shouldn't go unanswered. And a well-known and respected U.S. scholar did just that. He blamed everything on the United States falsely, and he blamed nothing on Russia. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by TrueCar. There's something about TrueCar a lot of people don't know. Using TrueCar can also help you buy a used car. In fact, there are more than 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers, discounts off the list price for used cars, and a better buying experience through the TrueCar certified dealer network. And the TrueCar pricing curve will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you'll know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. And once you register, you'll see a real price on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a True Car certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. There are more than 13,000 True Car certified dealers nationwide, and True Car users save an average of $3,000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy, new or used, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Several weeks ago, at a security conference in Morocco discussing terrorism, its causes, the perpetrators, and solutions, a Russian scholar took to the podium and launched into a blistering critique of the U.S. war on terror. Among his comments, which he repeated for me later in an interview, he said the U.S. war on terror was a failure. The U.S. was actually the reason terror attacks are increasing, and the U.S. military was disregarding local governments where it operates. This tirade upset some people in the audience, one of whom you'll hear from on this podcast. But first... Give a listen to the incendiary comments by Sergei Kostolyanets, a senior research fellow on African studies at the Russian Academy of Sciences in Moscow. Well, my general comments were about uh, foreign military presence in Africa, including American military presence. And from my point of view, the proliferation of bases, the expansion of uh, 
military presence on the continent is detrimental to the war on terror. And uh, while some uh, cooperation with African countries is necessary and provision of uh, military assistance and so on, the actual permanent basis and uh, this independent uh, operations of foreign militaries in, Af in Africa is uh, bad. Uh, it's uh, actually, we, can, we have seen more terrorism in Africa and more terrorist groups, they have control of more territory. And if we take 2001 as the starting point of the war on terror, well, we have more terrorists, so the war obviously has been a fiasco. So in your very harsh comments, you said the U.S. strategy wasn't working and, you know, specifically you mentioned AFRICOM. Why? Well, AFRICOM, I mean, it has a history of, for example, it wasn't able to establish a headquarters in Africa. So there was this... Um, opposition on the part of African leaders to this involvement. But now we see that it's expanding its presence. Now some countries have offered to host uh, headquarters of AFRICOM in Africa. I believe it was Libya. Uh, so the idea is that um, it, it's follow, it's, AFRICOM follows its own agenda. It's uh, the fact that it has extraterritorial ter and uh, independent kind of operations. I mean, the attacks are done by Americans and without sometimes consulting with the local governments like it just happened in Yemen. The fact is, it's only destroying that part of terrorism which is uh, maybe, uh, which is the focus of like, some goal of the moment. Mm -hmm. While the long-term uh, stability requires not just elimination of terrorism, but also creating so social and economic uh, circumstances for that. And uh, Amer American presence, presence I mean, is triggered, triggers more terrorism, triggers more use. They don't want to, these occasional drones to just kill their family and so on. They see this as intrusion, which generates more terrorism. So if the U.S. is the problem, then what do you think is the solution here in Africa? Well, of course, it's a very complex issue just to give a solution. But the fact is that the unilateral approach is, uh, has failed. And uh, of course, like I said, the main examples, the best examples are in Middle East, and Africa is just is a little behind it in terms. We haven't seen the, the whole, uh, what, is the, what are the real out, uh, repercussions of all this involvement. But the fight on terrorism should be done on, on Af by Africans. Africans should be build their own capacity. They should finally have real regional Ter uh, security mechanisms. Like we have, we see some uh, good examples. Like ECOWAS is doing something. In other regions, you don't have this structure. In the, in the Horn of Africa, we have IGAD, which is very weak. And while its funding is from the West, it in fact it hasn't been able to build any capacity. Because of course we can invite, they can invite some Americans, and they will do some killing for them, or some French, and so on. But it won't have long-term stability results. Mm -hmm. That's the idea that only Africans can really find the solution. For others, killing Africans is not a big problem. If they kill some, they have some collateral damage, okay, they, well, it happens. For Africans, they should feel it's their own land, and they know how to fight it for, just not just to destroy some terrorists, but also save other people and save their countries. The signals coming both About an hour after Coastal Yanit's surprise comments, David Pollack, an American scholar in the audience. Also, 
due to speak at the podium, deviated from his planned comments, taking the opportunity to answer Kostol Janic's criticisms. Pollock later explained his motivation. Well, what I said was that I was, and I'm quoting myself, I think, pretty exactly. I said I was disappointed to hear the comments of the distinguished speaker from Russia. I was trying to be very polite, but also very firm about it. I said I was disappointed to hear those comments because, I said, he blamed everything on the United States falsely, and he blamed nothing on Russia also falsely when it comes to terrorism and related problems in the region and in the world. And also because, I said, I thought that his comments were at variance with what I understood were actually some positive and encouraging signals from both Washington and Moscow that the United States and Russia could cooperate mm -hmm. in the war against terrorism. What are those signals you've seen? Well, I think these are, you know, nothing at all uh, secret or quiet about it. I think going back to the Obama administration and continuing under the Trump administration here in Washington, both of our, both of those administrations have said that they would like to coordinate better, if possible, with Russia in fighting against both Daesh or ISIS, the Islamic State, and other jihadi terrorist groups, uh, Al-Qaeda and its offshoots in Syria. And I think that there have been many discussions between U.S. and Russian officials, including military commanders, about that, at least to deconflict and possibly also to coordinate our approaches to that. And so, uh, and clearly on the Russian side as well. There have been many statements from Foreign Minister Lavrov, from President Putin himself, and, and others saying that they would like, if possible, to work with the United States against jihadi terrorism. Why did you decide to do that, decide to deviate from your program and to address this individual? What was it that drove you to do that? Well, uh, what drove me to do that was a combination of things. Number one, I thought his remarks were so far over the top that uh, they really deserved a response. They shouldn't go unanswered. And he was giving what sounded to me like a, even worse than a Cold War style Russian diatribe against the United States. It was factually false and it was also, I thought, very destructive of any effort, not only to reach some understanding between the United States and Russia, but also to um, convey some sense to this very large and influential audience of Arab and African and European officials the realities of the issue of jihadi terrorism in the region, in Africa, and beyond. So false, destructive and unanswered. The, the typical format in this conference, unfortunately, in my view, is for people to say what they have to say and nobody responds to it. Mm -hmm. It just hangs in the air, mm -hmm. unanswered. And I didn't want to let it go. Why do you think he did what he did? 
Yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I do think that what he said was out of line with actual Russian official government policy lately. And so what I think he was doing was basically an exercise in propaganda, old-style propaganda, which was to try to appeal to a different audience by giving them a distorted version of reality, even the reality of Russian policy, let alone American policy, mm -hmm. and to turn that audience against their own interests, against American interests, and in favor of some notion that only Russia was uh, a useful or, let's say, a, an acceptable partner for their national security. That was a moment, an unexpected moment, that caught everyone in the audience off guard. An ideological clash between the U.S. and Russia in public. But it didn't end there. After Pollock's speech, there was more. So one thing that's important to point out is that the moderator of my panel, after I made those remarks, and her name is Ms. Rahma Duala. She's from Somalia and works for the EU Commission um, in Nairobi, dealing with jihadi uh, issues in East Africa lovely woman, she, as the moderator of the panel, decided to give the Russian a chance to respond to my response. And he did. And actually, he backtracked, I would say. He said, in short, that he didn't mean to blame only the United States. He was also blaming the West as a whole. <laughs> I'm not sure you'd call that backtracking, but anyway, he clarified that point. Uh, and but he didn't. But he didn't. But he didn't necessarily say that Russia was to blame for anything. Absolutely not. No. No. Definitely not. But what he did say, second point, he said, and he was willing to go so far as to acknowledge that Russian-American cooperation in the fight against jihadi terrorism would be a good thing. He had nothing against that. So then why do you suppose all of this happened? Was he, was he told to do this? I don't, that, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I understand that there were some other Russians in attendance, although not speakers. And it may be that uh, he, uh, given my response, that somebody advised him, or maybe he himself realized that he had gone a little bit too far. It's not clear why Kostelyanitz decided to scold the U.S. military in such a harsh manner in public, strongly suggesting the U.S. is the cause for the worsening terrorism climate in the world, especially in Africa, without mentioning Russia's behavior in other conflicts in Ukraine, Syria, and beyond. But what is very obvious is the tension between the U.S. and Russia is growing and looks to get worse in the near term. We spoke with Ellen Lapson, a distinguished fellow and president emeritus of the Stimson Center, about the problem. Russia is, does still hurt from having lost its superpower status, and to the best of my understanding, many people believe that Putin sees many opportunities now to reestablish Russia as a great power. There are many indicators of Russia's decline in terms of the size of its population, uh, how it manages its wealth, problems of corruption, problems of legitimacy, but Putin has ambition to restore Russia to some of its, you know, earlier greatness, 
and I thought it was very amusing that the Russian speaker at the conference described incorre completely incorrectly that the purpose of American military presence is to exploit natural resources and to sort of dominate the politics of the countries in which it operates. I, I, I genuinely believe that's not true. But it was ironic to me that if you look at what Russia is doing in Syria, that would be a perfect description of what Russia is doing in Syria. So they were, he was insinuating that the United States doesn't have good intentions towards the countries of Africa when I think if he looked in the mirror, some people would say the same thing about Russia's behavior in certain countries. And coming up in our next episode, after his very public spat with a Russian scholar, David Pollack had something unnerving happen to him after he returned to the U.S., and he knows the two were connected. This was a kind of harassment by some Russian organization that responding to my comments at the conference. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Everybody knows that February is the shortest month of the year. But at Podcast One, we aren't taking any breaks. We've got a boatload of new shows coming your way this month. Like two from Forbes, Under 30, and The List. Or Postmortem with Mick Garris. And Clipcast, the official unofficial podcast of the LA Clippers. But we're not done. Still to come this month, The Raven Effect from Pro Wrestler Raven. A little bit of Growing the Dynasty with Jeff and Jessica Robertson. Plus, in upcoming weeks, shows from Kim Zolchak, Dina Tori Spelling, The Retronauts, and many more. To get more details, go to podcastone.com now. Podcastone.com.